iOS helps you control which apps you share your exact location with. There's more to iPhone. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. This is The Ruck from The Times and The Sunday Times. Thanks so much again for joining us. And the Autumn Nation series may be over, but the rucking is not over at all for the crack panel today. And it's, I think, the first time we've had all three of us in the studio at once. Alex Lowe, over on the far side, how are you? Hello, good, thank you. And Stephen Jones, you're here too. Yeah, Am I? Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, sorry. I knew there was something I was missing. (laughs) Yeah, looking forward to it, looking forward to it. We were all at Twickenham. On Saturday, and we heard the booze. We're going to get into it, everyone. We're going to get into it. But first, I need to say, you know, you've been doing an autumn series long enough when the Christmas stuff starts coming out. <laughs> <sighs> I've been trying to downstairs, been doing my Monday mall for Times subscribers with my noise cancelling headphones on, and I've had two hours of Christmas songs being sung by automatic reindeer. One wearing a Wales flag and one wearing an England flag for the football. In the, in this building? In, in, in the, the UK building. building? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Down by the cafeteria. Right, okay, I'm avoiding the cafeteria. <laughs> no, hang on, I, I've seen automatic reindeer. They're, they're, they're good life. Yeah? No, <laughs> no, seriously, I think they're good band. They're underrated. Okay. Everyone's <laughs> listening to us for Christmas updates and football punditry. So Tuesday, if you're listening to this on Monday, Tuesday's the big England-Wales football game. Let's have a verdict on that before we start, Alex. Yours, your boys are loving the World Cup, are they? Oh yeah, they've got their um, wall charts out and everything. Christmas reindeer. Yeah, my my, son, my youngest son has chopped all his hair off. He had a he had a Gareth Bale haircut. It's now become a Jack man Green. bun. Was it? Yeah, a man it was. Bun? Yeah, oh. Ten, eleven year old. He's now uh, <laughs> ten year old. Um, it's now a Jack Grealish haircut. Okay. As of this weekend. Okay. So yeah, he's he's. Uh, he, Definitely an England fan. Jonesy, would you you'd fancy Jack Grealish? Uh, do I fancy Jack Grealish? No, a Jack Grealish oh, haircut. Oh, Jack Grealish haircut. <laughs> no, 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 yeah, I'll, I'll give it a try. Yeah. My, my, trouble is, my hair's gone a bit grey now. <laughs> I uh, I just want that game to be over. A bit like I wanted the England-South Africa game to be over, but for a different reason. <laughs> yeah. England and Wales, it's just too much surrounding it, and uh, just get on with it, and uh, actually... I think the better if the better side wins, it'll probably be England, won't it? Well, yeah. Well, if you want more on the football, please listen to the game and don't listen to us. But <laughs> we're going to get stuck into the rugby on the pod this week. We'll look back on defeats for England and Wales as they ended their autumn in lacklustre fashion, which is probably being a bit kind. That's generous. <laughs> we'll ask whether Wayne Pivak's time is at an end following a torrid year for the Wales head coach. We're also going to speak to former England number eight Nick Easter about England's pretty terrible 2022, and he's got some big things to say. And it would be brilliant to hear from him. And then finally, we'll name our gods or goddess of the week. Could be a devil? Maybe. But first, let's get into the action from the Autumn Nation series, starting with those events, that comeback in Cardiff. 
Right, as we said, we're going to start in Cardiff with the Australians and pray for the commentators, I think, for those last couple of tries because it was Mark Nawagani to... Oh, no! Oh, I missed on. him up! I was going to do it then. Right, it was Mark... Don't cut this off. Nawagani to Wase. Mark who? Mark Nawagani to Wase, who was fantastic, by the way, and brought them back from the dead, the Wallabies, uh, where they won 39-34. Stephen Jones... Is that the end of Wayne Pivak? Let's start with a bang. It, different, actually, because in, uh, the England um, demise is the fault of one man. The Welsh de- de- demise is the fault of millions of people, not Wayne Pivak. I think Wayne Pivak is a really good coach, possibly not the greatest ever, but probably the, the best available, unless they go and bring Warren Gatlin back, cl- clearly. But I think it's everything around Pivak is an utter shambles. And that go, that's the Welsh Rugby Union, their professional arm, which they have hardly got, the fact that the clubs have hardly won a game all season, until Cardiff won amazingly yesterday. Um, and I yeah, think it's... Yeah, Africa, wasn't it? Yeah. Yes, it was. And I think the whole... Uh, Welsh rugby is broken and that Pivak has done an incredible job still to be leading Australia with a couple of minutes to go and I think they should lay off him if they unless that Gatland is available they should give him uh, the green light for the Six Nations and sort themselves out it is the people sitting in judgment over Pivak who should go and not Pivak there was so Sam Warburton Times columnist is always very measured and analytical when he writes a column like he wrote last week, yeah. in which he you could ju- you could just sense the emotional pent up frustration and disappointment and anger in in a guy like Sam Warburton to write what he wrote, and I'd urge anyone to go and read it if they if they haven't already, outlining exactly what you say there, Steve. That the, the, the structural failings within Welsh rugby. And we've talked a lot on this pod about the structural issues in English rugby and in the Premiership. And you know, j- just as one example, the the board of the WIU is dominated still by the community game. So you have mm. volunteers from the community game being asked to make elite executive rugby decisions, and that was just one example. And I thought I thought Sam Warburton summed that whole disaster situation up perfectly. And you've you've just built on it there, Steve. It's it's you know, the way that Wales lost that game. Was was really really poor. Don't get me wrong. I, mm. um, and and if Warren Gatlin could come back in, and and I kind of think they may have got to a point where any high level coach could might get that bounce that's required. But it doesn't fix the problem, actually, in yeah. Wales. Yeah, yeah. And Mark Evans before he he flew to, to to Fiji would often come on here and and outline brilliantly the structural failings in within Wales. And and maybe we're now it's just you know I think there are there are empty seats at the in the stadium that mm. like. There's a lot going wrong there. I mean, that that is the the one thing that is, if that last domino falls, i.e., they can't sell all their tickets for Cardiff home games, then the whole pyramid's gone. If they can't fill Six Nations matches, which they didn't against France, remember that Friday night earlier yeah. this year, yeah. mm. that is a massive issue. Like England's, all of their, well, the massive percentage of their money comes from selling tickets to tests, and if they can't do that because the team's not good enough or the system's not there, it's too expensive, that's a huge issue. Steve, Steve I, I look at this from, from the outside. You grew up in Wales. We, we talked about the World Cup at the, at the very start. It feels, you know, if Wales get a, a result against England in over in Qatar, you know, the, the number of fans that have travelled, the, the joy that this Wales football team has brought to the country. You know, after all those years of not going to major tournaments, they're now going and they're making, a, making themselves known. It feels like we're at a at a tipping point almost football and rugby now that would never have been the case back in the day when you were playing down in Newport what 
how do you sense the balance and and what that could end up doing for for rugby? I think I think it's a it's a good point, and I think that uh, the the fact that there is some sporting success and a team to follow with a certain magic in in Gareth Bale, obviously not quite as what he what he ever was, but I think it, there is a danger. I, I think that things that are so deep rooted are difficult to shift, even if it all goes to, to mm. hell. Yeah. But I do think that it's one of those things where any anyone who's saying now, oh, look, don't worry, rugby law has been number one, is, is, is on dangerous ground, very dangerous ground. Can I just make one point about on the field? some reason, Wales used to have the hardest, toughest manual workers up there in the front row. On Saturday and recently, in the scrums, they've been absolutely murdered by, for instance, Australia which is not the home of scrummaging, as we all know. Mm. Australia have had, apart from Richard Harry and a couple of others, they have not had world-class scrummagers in all the time I've been covering rugby. Suddenly, in the first scrum, it is like you're pushing against some sort of paper, paper props, and that is an absolute disgrace. And again, PVAC can't magic props if they're not there. And, 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 and so... Off the field were massive problems. The big problem on the field, a bit like England, is because they, they were smashed up front and therefore the whole game goes to goes to pieces. But you're still 21 points up. Yeah, that, true. Know, to lose Can't from 21 lose points up does suggest an issue. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and that's what I wonder about if Gatlin was to come back or even if a Robertson put his hand up for 10 months because that implies that there's not a fight within the, the camp. Well, it certainly implies that they don't know how to, to, to look after a lead. But actually, at, at the moment, the game is very difficult to to run down and slow down. As True. we've seen from the Premiership, yeah. you know, teams these days, it's very difficult to stick the ball up the jumper and, 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 and drive it like that. But yeah, look, you, you're dead right. You can't lose that number of points in an international match. Playing at home, you you must have to, you must find some way of, of keeping your lead. And I think that all these things are taken in a broader concept. If, if it's a one-off... You go, oh god, we, we messed up that day. But it follows a series. You know, it's the end of a year of three wins in twelve. It's the end of an autumn in which they lose, lost home to Georgia and were were murdered up front again. All of these things have to be looked at in the in the wider context, which is which I'm sure we'll come on to with England too. It's not just that one bad fifteen minutes. It's that's part of a of a wider malaise. Two statistical notes on on the Wales performance. Stuart Farmer, the statistician on Twitter, told us that. That was the biggest lead that Wales have ever surrendered to eventually lose the Test match, Oof. 21 points. Wow. Um, beating the capitulation against France in 1996 in Cardiff, which was 17 points, mm. equal to the game against um, Australia and Sydney in 2007, which was also 17 points. And I've, again, mentioned the, the Monday Mall at the top of the show, but I've been looking at kind of comparing England and Wales... They're failing in different ways, but both have had a big drop-off after the last World Cup in terms of pure facts of win percentage. So 2016 to 2019, Warren Gatlin's Wales had a 63% win ratio in the last World Cup cycle, and now it's 38% under Wayne Pivak in the last three years. And for England, 2016 to 2019, they were at 78%, and now at 64.5%. And I cheekily put out a tweet before we went on the podcast because... England Rugby had put out a scheduled thing of Cyber Monday, 30% off all things in the England Rugby store. <laughs> and I, I said that the other thing that's dropped off by 30% is England's win rate from 2019. <laughs> yeah. This year they're 42% and then they were th- 73 But I don't know, is there a way we can kind of get into the England thing via the Wales thing? And my thought on that is 
So the news that Steve James was writing in his piece on in Monday's Times is that Warren Gatland is is ready and being prepared, uh, which would be a sensational return for him. I and mean, he was pitch side at Cardiff, wasn't he, doing the telly, and was asked about it and looked fairly shifty <laughs> when asked the question. There's, there'll be a lot to sort out, and it might cost the WU around a million pounds to sort that contractually by getting rid of Wayne Pivak and getting Warren Gatland and whoever he wants to bring in. Does it add the context for England that he might be available and they could get him? Absolutely. If Warren Gatland is available, England have got to go and get him. Yeah. For Just for a change, like as with Sean Edwards, don't be beaten to, to the draw. Mm. Now, Warren is there, he's around, he's available, he's a great coach. He would be ideal just to take it up to the World Cup. If he does really well, maybe maybe he'll stay. Maybe he won't, I don't know. But that you brought up a great point, and the key point this week, if Warren is available... At last, England, go and get the man you should always have got. One thing also, I thought, which may be a bit of fantasy rugby coaching, is Scott Robertson and Warren Gatland. Get both of them. If you're Wales, if you're England, there is a chance there to spend some money. You're going to have to spend some to save some kind of thing, aren't you? But either country could get their wallet out and get both of them and then say to Gatland, you've got a year to make us better for the World Cup and then Scott Robertson you've never tested yourself at test level so you can come in too and then after 23 you rise to the head coach job and Warren you say thanks very much you've done all you needed so England, England well England have given Wales a deadline by announcing two on, weeks. on Sunday that they were going to spend two weeks reviewing uh, the Autumn Nation series and deciding on whether or not Eddie Jones was is the right man for them to, to lead England through to the World Cup. They say that they review things constantly. In fact, after the Six Nations, they backed Eddie Jones the day after that defeat in, Pre-empting the in review. France. Yeah. Pre- well, basically saying we don't really need a review because we already know we back him. Mm. This time round, they've decided that they do need a review, even though the reviews also go on all the time. And, they ha- and as, you know, they've issued a, a brief statement saying that they're, they're going to hold the meetings with the panel that they won't name um, to decide on whether or what can improve for England between now and the Six Nations, and there was no mention of Eddie Jones in the statement. So, in the context of your question, well, uh, and Jonesy Wales now know they've got two weeks if they want to make a change to sign up Warren Gatland. They've got two weeks to do it because the RFU have bought themselves a bit of time to to make their make their call. You're, you're right, but let's do review now. England, you're bloody useless. Full stop. There's nothing else, no other conclusion to come to. Go and ring Warren now. And it's, it's, it's for me, it's a great idea what you said, Will, Robertson, Gatland in, in, in some sort of harmony. But they need someone, both teams need someone, especially England, to start coaching properly and not have this horrendous mixed vegetable approach, which is not doing anyone any good. I mean, I think the, the booze at the end of the England game summed up the kind of attitude and apathy that fans now have to this England team and we'll, we'll talk to Nick Easter about this in a bit but I think there's a there's a general feeling now that many of supporters of England have had enough of England at this point they've had enough of their international team always promising rarely delivering then explaining it all away after a small tweaks all nuance all grey it'll all be right on the night they're not thick are they they're, they're they can see it's not delivering. They can see the scrum's not working. They can see the line-outs malfunctioning. You can see the attack that can't score. You can see them endlessly dropping the ball. And they can see they keep losing. So, yeah. And they're being told that it's coming. Yeah. And it never So I, is. My, my, So I got 
I was became the correspondent about a year ago, just over a year ago. Owen Slot wrote after the 2021 Six Nations when in which England finished fifth. That's time up. Like we need England need to make the change. They need to move on from Eddie Jones because he's it's not it's not working. A point that's been reinforced by Steve next to me here by Stuart Barnes. It, it's a point you can't make every week, right? So for the last year. My approach has been, okay, that, that point has been made. Let's try and understand now what it is that they're doing. So the, the, all the talk of, of a newfangled attacking system, sort of Man City fluid attack where no one shirt numbers don't matter, positions don't matter. What does that mean? What does that look like? What should we all be looking for? And through 12 games, 12 test matches, not including the Barbarians' defeat, that has been a lot of what we've tried to do is go, okay... This is what you're saying you're trying to do. Let's try and explain it as best we can, given that the limited explanations we ever get, it's all, it's all kind of have faith. We're working on it in a trading session. You're Trust not allowed, the process. In a trading mm. session, you're not allowed to watch, mm. but it's all great. So, okay, well, these are your words. What are we trying to see? And over time, we get to the point on Saturday, the last test of the year, and you look back and you go, right, well, what have we seen? How much of what you want to achieve, how much of what you're working towards, and how much are you that you're promising have you actually delivered? Mm over the course of this year. Yeah. And the answer in 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 wins is is 5 out of 12, none of whom are ranked above England and and Australia have just bumped themselves up to 6, but they were down to 8th at one point. There's no consistency in attack. The scrum that's pointed out by Owen Jones when England snatched that that late win against all rugby narrative against the Springboks a year ago where they got munched up front and they gave away 18 penalties. And a lovely bit of play from Marcus Smith at the end earned them a penalty to, to win the game. After which, Ingham, Eddie Jones was like, "We need to work on our power game." Twelve months on, it, it was it was even worse. Like they were they mm. were you know South Africa with a are, better front row. South Africa are a difficult team to play against. Whether they've yeah. whether they're missing a, a handful of their frontline players, they played really well. I thought, but England didn't play. You can play well and lose, and then you go, "Okay, we can see what you're doing." The point is. Having invested time trying to understand what it is that they're they're talking about, we can't see it now. We can't see it now, and the fans can't see it, and and that's where we get to the point where this review, this review panel, need to be convinced beyond doubt that this plan of getting through the Six Nations and then pulling it all together in a in a, a training camp in the summer to to hit the World Cup will work well I, I, I totally agree with what Alex said two, two things for me first of all we heard this absolutely worst excuse ever invented by by anyone on Saturday when Eddie said don't worry mate it'll be alright by the World Cup yeah. now as, as I as someone wrote in the paper on Sunday when you come to Twickenham We've all been there with our mates. Maybe we brought our kids, our family, our friends, our dad or granddad. And we go to, people go to Twickenham, as I used to go to Cardiff when I was a kid, with a sense of worshipping at one of the biggest altars. When we get there, we find afterwards that the coach didn't really bother about that game because it's all to do with the World Cup. Well, I might have paid a thousand pounds to be there. So if Eddie's not going to bother, will they please? Will he please announce today, I'm, or, or for the next game, I'm not really interested in this game. It's only the World Cup, and then we can all make up our minds whether we bother or not. Well, I think I understand people are. From what I heard over the weekend, Six Nations ticket sales at Twickenham are sluggish. Yeah, which yeah. which is given that Scotland are coming, yeah, and France are coming. That is um, that is a warning sign. Yeah, and I I, I would say. It's high time England fans voted with their feet and didn't turn up mm. in February and March. If they're being told that it doesn't matter and it's all about the World Cup, then why would you go? 
it's too it's an expensive mistake to buy a ticket to England at the moment. And I think the other point that we've made a lot is that frankly I think it's unacceptable when you're England to only be able to piece together a decent performance every four years. And, and a, a point totally. I made in the paper today, look at the Red Roses. They went to the World Cup as favourites. They reached the final on the back of 30 consecutive test victories. And they lost the final. It was it was a, a an inspired performance by a very well-coached hmm. Black Ferns team and a red card went against them. And nothing you planned for. An inexplicable moment that happens. And they lost a, a very narrow game, but they lost. And they lost the World Cup final. And that will eat away at them forever. But they still have a body of work of which they can be proud. A world record. They have a world record. I mean, that, hmm. that's except, exceptional. But A couple of slams. But, I mean, even if, let's say 2003, even if the, that extra time drop goal had gone to the Wallabies, England would have been devastated. Of course, they go to win the World Cup. But for a period of time before then, they ruled, they ruled rugby. They, they were the best team. Beating New Zealand and in they Wellington. Had a, they had a... Uh, there's a body of work there mm. of which they can be proud they won trophies they won test matches away from from home in in Wellington in the wind and in, in Melbourne and trouncing Ireland in Dublin like they had a body of work there that even if that one last game that one drop goal in extra time doesn't go their way they, they have insp- talk about inspiring kids Alex they've got people who want to go and watch that team mm. that, and, and if they lose that last game I, I, get, I flip it around the philosophy here the policy here is if England will go and win the World Cup, and that will inspire another generation. Yeah. Don't forget, Alex, in 2001, after the Six Nations, Woodward said, we intend to go into the World Cup ranked number one yeah. in the world. Yeah. That's what he said, yeah. and that's what they yeah. did. Absolutely. Mm. And, exactly what well, they did. and so, so you take that team, if England had lost that final, all the good that that team achieved and all the, you know, the, the household names they'd become still stands. At the moment, the policy is, let's win the World Cup final to inspire a whole new generation. And I just think that's the wrong way around. We've annoyed them so much along the way, they might not even be watching. Well, can we just have a touch on this, this panel for, for just for a moment? The panel is anonymous, um, and it strikes me that if you haven't got the guts to put your name up to say who you are and, and where you come from, well, you certainly haven't got the guts to make bold decisions, like, like getting rid of the coach when you should do. But who is on this panel? If I'm the RFU... I guess at the moment they invited all their chums. I bet it's all really chummy. No one who pushes, no one who really is inflammatory. Now, if I if I wanted a, a panel, a rugby panel, at this moment to sort something out properly, I, I'd have like I'd have certainly Clive Woodward. I'd have Warren Gatland, Nick Easter, maybe Brian Moore, Jeremy Guscott, someone who's really chippy, someone who's not going to say, "Oh, I agree with you, chaps." I bet you they got no one at all on there. And until someone tells me the names, I will assume that panel as softies and rubbish. I think that that is entirely the point, is that we're banging our head against the wall trying to ask the RFU about this anonymous panel since they started forming it in 2019. And they always tell us that they signed up to it on a condition of anonymity. But then I think it's that classic phrase, nature abhors a vacuum, is if there's a vacuum of information, people fill it with stuff that may not be true. Yeah. And, and there's... There's no way that they can counter it and go, see, here they are, this is the group. And if if we knew their names, we could then scrutinise them. And it was in his Daily Mail column, Clive Woodward wrote this in Monday's paper. He said, how can you criticise the England players if you can't put your name to it? Owen Farrell has to put his name to his performances every week because people know who he is and his team do. And if the panel who are assessing them can't, then they shouldn't be allowed to. 
Should we resign from that panel, you and I, Alex? Yeah. I think I'm going to buzz off, honestly. How are the I've expenses, boys? Hey, sh- don't tell them we're on it, for God's <laughs> sake. <laughs> right, well, th- there are thoughts on England. And we will, we'll move on to the Premiership and Europe and everything after that, but that was necessary. And what is also necessary <sighs> is for you to listen to Nick Easter next because he's got a lot to say about England too, making some very valid points. So next on The Ruck, Nick Easter, the former England number 8. So now on the ruck, we're joined by former England number eight, Nick Easter, who's played in the World Cup final and loads of Premiership games and all sorts recently at Worcester coaching there. Nick, how are you? How are you feeling after Saturday watching that England game? Yeah, I'm I'm good, mate. Keep myself busy. Um, You know, probably looking towards you know next season in terms of you know get getting back at the elite level. But I've been keeping myself busy coaching you know various rugby clubs, uh, doing a few masterclasses at schools and helping out Cheltenham College, which is, you know, where I moved to when I signed for Worcester and lovely part of the world, as I'm sure you know, but co- coaching there and really and really enjoying it, actually. Coaching at, okay, a lower level might sound, a, you know, a little bit disparaging, but what I mean is, you know, um, it sort of gives you a fresh perspective in terms of the outlook they have on the game and uh, clearly what we're going to discuss in, in terms of our national team and what's happened in the last month. Yeah, so you were you were talking to us off air and saying that you were at uh, Twickenham on Saturday, a few boos ringing around at the end. What did you make of it all as someone who's got skin in the game, has been there and done it at the highest level and, and as a coach, I suppose, too? They look muddled, they look lost, and they just lack an edge. Um, if, you know, I'm just looking from the outside in before we sort of might get into the nitty-gritty and they don't seem to know... Yeah, they're certainly not seen off the same hymn sheet. And, th- and this isn't just Saturday. This is, you know, from the Argentina game throughout. Um, you know, against New Zealand, you know, they had the wonderful last 10 minutes, if you like, and that probably seemed to be, you know, appeared. That's when they sort of ripped up the uh, the game plan and sort of decided, right, we're going to go out and we're going to be positive. We're going to leave our mark and take it to these guys, you know, and get back into the game. And, and lo and behold, the Twickenham crowd get on their feet and support them. Yes, passes stick, but people like to see that endeavour. Um, but for, throughout these four games, it's been a real concern in terms of, you know, the disengagement that there has been between the fans and the England team at Twickenham. We we, we sat through the Argentina game and it was it was deathly quiet on that Sunday. There were there were some jeers through the rest of the autumn and then and then that reaction of, of full time that you you've played in teams I mean, we'll, we'll ask you in a minute about 07 and and the, the coaching changes that happened just before that World Cup. But had you heard Twickenham with that sort of sense of weary apathy, disillusionment before? No, no, I haven't. And uh, yeah, that that that's a real worry. And you know, going into the review, obviously that probably be the, a major concern because look, you know, there's been England teams, and as I said to you, you know, a few minutes ago before we came on air. You know, it's been compared to that 2008 autumn, and look, I was a part of that. Um, contextually, you know, there were changes in coaches. John O had just come in, a lot of retirements, the likes of, you know, Josh Lucy, Jason Robinson, Mike Cat, um, you know, Ben Kay, Martin Corey, Phil Vickery, you know, Mark Regan, guys like that that were around the year before, you know, for the World Cup in 07. And so we had to blood a lot of new young players. Um, the other thing was South Africa and New Zealand, especially, if not Australia, were 
you know, head and shoulders, the top two, if not the top three sides in the world. You know, the, the international game is wonderful at the moment because it's so competitive and you can't really call a score. Um, but back then that, that was the case. And, you know, we 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 did get, you know, we got our ass handed to us, if you like, um, you know, without wanting to be too rude about it. But mm. the crowd was the crowd were always behind us. They understood where we were coming from. They understood the need to blood. You know, I think it was people like Danny Cipriani, you know, uh, Danny Kerr played then. You know, the likes of James Haskell, Tom Croft, who were making their debuts and people like that. They could see the youth coming through and getting behind the team. Um, and, you know, as bad as the scoreline might have been, uh, you know, it wasn't the sort of lamentable sort of deathly silence and, and booing, actually, that you heard on Saturday. Nick, you were talking again before we came on the air about, um, and then just then, about this disconnect between the crowd, which was so noticeable, and the team on Saturday. And you were saying that um, in, in your, co- your coaching at Cheltenham, um, you think that, that possibly there's a disconnect there as well. I mean, I our local club at Maidenhead, the people gather every Sunday informally to discuss England's performance. And for the first time for about four years, no one wanted to do it this week. I, I, mm. I, I mean, if, do you think that from the kit, the, the guys you coach, that they're, they're not as in love with the England team as they should be? 100%. They're, 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 they're not. They're, they, they love the individuals. Um, you know, you talk to, you know, the, the kids are coming out doing whatever Marcus Smith did the week before or Ellis Genge or whoever it might be. Love the individuals. Yeah. But the team, the team, not so much. I mean, just to give you an example, um, there's two South Africans from Paul Roos that are over on, on sort of a, a placement um, throughout the season. They were the two that, uh, you know, we, we kicked off early on Saturday. I wasn't there, I was at Twickenham, but um, kicked off early on Saturday and they jumped in jumped in the car and, and headed down to Twickenham to watch their beloved South Africa. Mm. Not one of the English schoolboys did that, you know, throughout mm. the month. You know, I was chatting to parents on the sideline, dads afterwards having tea or whatever, you know, food after the game or the kids, you know, you're going to go down and watch England at Twickenham this month. No, no, no we're not now. We could get into a whole lot of stuff over, you know, exorbitant sort of ticket prices and, you know, the type of people that go, are they actually rugby fans and all that sort of stuff? That might be for another programme with mm. more qualified people than me about the marketing of the game and everything. But I, I just think that there, there, is, there has been a disconnect in terms of, you know, the, the accessibility of players and the humanisation of the game as well. And, um, you know, we all love the game and remember it, however good or bad England were. Or, or the game has been in terms of, you know, the human part of the game and understanding the players um, that take the field and then appreciating exactly what they put themselves through when they take the field. And I think we've lost that. Brilliant words. Brilliant words. <clears throat> I don't know whether fans read press conferences or <laughs> like the quotes from them, but I thought it was really interesting. And it was a flippant comment that Eddie made on Saturday night, but he said, I don't care what people think of me. Um, and it was notable in the RFU statement that came out on Sunday afternoon that Bill Sweeney, the first line of his quote was, we would like to thank England fans for their patience and support. It matters to us how they feel, which is, I think, exactly what you're getting at, Nick, there, that as much as there might be an Eddie looking at the other fans going, well, they don't pay my wages, I don't care what they think, it matters and it's necessary for the RFU because if people aren't going to turn up to the Six Nations... That is a real problem. And I think the point you made there, Nick, as well, that individually, they are you, you can connect with them 
oh, increasingly, yeah. you know, an Ellis Genge or a Marcus Smith. But as a collective, for for whatever reason, there is this growing disconnect between the public and, and their team. One thing I wanted to ask you about, Nick, is we touched on it before, is that sense of if it is the right time to change the coach, you've had that before, um, 2007, before that World Cup, exactly at this point the, the coach changed. Can you take us into that and how that was for you guys as players and how difficult or otherwise it is to, to do that a year before the World Cup? Well, actually, from my personal experience, it was great for me because I didn't have Andy Robinson. I uh, <laughs> My first representative call-up was early January, getting called up for the England Saxons um, by Brian Ashton, and then two games into the Six Nations making my debut. So it was terrific for my side. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then, yeah, look, you know, Brian Ashton, you know, got to the final, you know, we, we know the story um, by hook or by crook, got to the final and then second in the Six Nations. And then suddenly he was off. Rob Andrew, you know, I didn't go on that New Zealand tour. I was injured. I broke my hand. Um, Rob Andrew took charge of that tour. And then Jono came in in 2008. And obviously it can be it can be disruptive, disruptive. But I think what you've seen is that example where Brian Ashton comes in 2007, Rassi Erasmus comes in with 18 months with South Africa, is it can be done if if a head guy's got a clear vision of how you know and obviously a clear way of creating an environment very very quickly like Eddie Jones did when he came in in 2016 and we and we know he's brilliant at that and I, I just feel when you look at Eddie now he seems to have lost that bite that zest that little bit of Aussie arrogance but actually that the crowd enjoyed we grew up appreciating the Aussie mindset in terms of just being so aggressive and positive and getting at the opposition. And suddenly you saw this guy who wasn't an English coach, he was an Australian coach, imbuing that onto the players. And you had a hungry group of players who were close to peaking, um, strong Saracens contingent, obviously driven by the the hurt of the 15 disaster, 2015 disaster. And it was sort of like, um, you know, a perfect storm, if you like. So, it can, ha- you know, if a change if a change occurs, it can happen. You look at the um, uh, the Black Ferns, six months, mm-hmm. and I know that's a completely different world in terms of competitiveness and who is professional and who isn't. Um, but the right person there, reinvigorating the nation, the fans, the players, can can get them together. And I, and I don't think it. I don't think it's too late if they wanted to go down that route. Just before we finish, can I ask about? players because um, often I was talking to coaches last week and, and they said the one thing that, that separates a, a great international coach from a club coach is the art of selection you worked at Worcester with, with Ollie Lawrence for example who who came in got a couple of games um, about as many touches of the of the ball and, and was jettisoned really quickly and he's not the only one um, uh, Ben Earl another, another example of, of a player who, who came in got a taste of it and was cut very quickly to the point where you wonder whether some of these players will, will ever come back again. Do you look at the this England squad and think that's the squad? Do you, do you look at the players that are around the Premiership and think that there is the potential for this England team to go and compete at the World Cup? I.e., the players are there; it's just the coaching that, that's the issue. How do you, you know, someone like Ollie Lawrence? Is, 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 does he have a future um, under this coach or, or another? Do you, do you see what I mean? Well, yeah, I do. Julian. Well. Firstly, yes, we definitely have the the ability and the talent. Um, and, you know, the way some of those players have been treated is is reprehensible, to be honest with you. Um, 
the uh, what what the other thing from this this these four weeks um, is, can you tell me one player? And you know, there's been, as I say, good campaigns for England, not so good campaigns for England. But usually, there's you know maybe three or four shiny lights, people who are in credit or people that you know experienced players that have continued on their trajectory, and you might not have got the results, and, and maybe sometimes a performance, but individuals have stood out. Not one individual for me has stood out in a strong way, and therefore you go into the Six Nations and. How many people can you say can be assured of their place in the side? Um, so to answer your question, it's all up for grabs. Um, you know, if if someone else is in charge, but you know, um, Eddie's obviously shown quite a bit of favouritism to guys that might might be slightly over the hill now, um, but have credit in the bank, and he might think it's you know too short a turnaround to to make that change. You know, given the pressures of a World Cup. Right, Nick. Well, that, that's been brilliant. Your insight and, and knowledge of the game is extraordinary. So thanks so much for that. And let's hope that next time we're talking, it's more positively about England and all that. But And best of luck for your school stints and all that. And let, make sure the boys are coming through. And girls are too. All right. Cheers, fellas. That was brilliant, mate. Thanks, guys. Awesome, Cheers, Nick. Thanks Thank so you. much. 
parrying Hawkins the centre. He was making breaks. Fantastic. What a find. Fair play to him. So he's my god of the week. They, they've had a mad year where they've had so many injuries. Yeah. But out of it, they've also found a couple mm. of really promising players. Absolutely, yeah. I'll, I'll just stick to, to Twickenham. I thought a couple of the... the I, I think you could... If, we, if this had become a special god of the autumn... Uh, segment. Then, then there's a few special players you could pick, like Ange Capuozzo, for example, yeah. with oh. Italy. What a great, what a great kind of. I know he was brilliant in the Six Nations, but done it in a couple of big games for Italy. And actually, sorry, you mentioned the last ruck where I was in Monaco, so I wasn't on it. Um, he it was quite oh, funny. Yeah. Oh, sorry, God, yeah. Yeah. sorry, he doesn't well, go an hour. Did you say hello to Prince or anything, Chris, over there? <laughs> well, Prince Albert was there oh, with his wife. Okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. all right. Um, and actually, there was a quite a funny moment where we went. Um, we were waiting outside of the red carpet to speak to people, and Jamie Roberts came over for a chat. And then the prince arrived uh, with his with his entourage. And you're not allowed to take pictures of the prince coming out of the car, so they had to wait for him to get out of the car, shaking hands with Bill Beaumont and everything. And he walked through, and then he out of the corner of his eye, he noticed Jamie Roberts, and then went, "All right, Jamie." <laughs> and we were standing there being like that is a big flex from Jamie Rawls yeah, isn't it and I think right. they used to link up because Jamie was sponsored by an F1 brand so they used to go to the Monaco Grand Prix but all I was going to say you have a that, special programme is Monaco anecdotes shouldn't you <laughs> yeah no but the other one was about Ange Capowatso because he was given the Breakthrough Player of the Year awards alongside Ruby Tui who won the women's one and they were desperate to speak to Ruby Tui because we know how amazing she is at interviews and stuff like that but Ange Capowatso was he was trying to be shuffled off and it's like please we invite you to take your seat and he he kept staying up there because he was grinning with his trophy and then gave an interview in three different languages French, Italian and English so it's outstanding what a bloke so yes endorse your Andrew Capuzzo yeah so if we had one for the autumn I'd be tempted to pick him for the week just looking at the way South Africa played um, at Twickenham I thought Eben Etzebeth was just he's a scary man Mm. he was just enormous and Faf de Klerk, it just played like Faf de Klerk plays at his peak, just everywhere, hurtling up out of defence, putting the pressure on Smith and Farrell. Like even when England had thought they might go wide, suddenly Faf de Klerk is hurling himself Superman like at, at Marcus Smith. He was niggly, he was feisty, he, you know, in the end, you know, Johnny Hill, they won the mental battle as well as the physical and, and the aerial. So Johnny Hill turfs him off a, off a ruck reversal penalty they score he's exactly the kind of player that you hate playing against but you love if he's on your team so I'm going to go Faf I think that's, that's a great one and uh, he, he exposed Marcus Smith terribly throughout, throughout that game mine is a uh, South African wasn't involved heavily in the game Kurt Lee Arenta um, on the wing just took us back to a days when counter-attacking was just dazzling and, and into space. And it was almost like a throwback because when was the last time England launched a counter? What England do is they get the ball and they run it straight back up the middle to contact. Well, South Africa moved it wide and Arantza, um was involved and the way he beat Marcus Smith and the way he took the try, God, that just was so glorious, zippy and colourful and so out of kilter with so much of the rest of rugby at the moment. So, Kurt Lee's my man. Yeah, absolutely. Fine nominations all, but uh, as the sad news came in to us at Twickenham at half-time, there's only really one God of the Week, isn't there? And, and that is the Doddy Weir, who sadly passed away over the weekend. Um, a, an, an unbelievable man and an unbelievable campaigner. Unfortunately, MND got the better of him. But Steve, a fine bloke, and... 
what's your tribute to a fine player too? When you knew that um, this horrific disease, horrendous disease, um, when you knew that that um, Dot, Doddy had it, you almost knew or you expected him to deal with it as he has done with such bravery, courage, reaching out for others, such a valiant um, uh, counter-attack against it. Um, and, you know, he, he lasted or he, he lived much longer than you're supposed to with this horrible disease. Funny, Doddy was a tall, uh, gangling guy. People called him a giraffe. In fact, Rob Burrow called him a giraffe on the, on the weekend, my friendly giraffe. He was actually a really good player. He, he missed out on... Um, test selection in 97 with the Lions because some idiot from Mpumalanga stamped on his knee and, and put him out the tour. But he could have really been in contention then. He was just a marvellous man, marvellous bloke. And it sometimes uh, we 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 forget that marvellous men and women uh, are what rugby's always been about. And in this time where rugby's sort of in the shade a bit, Doddy Weir dazzled us. Yeah, absolutely. There was a nice suggestion over the weekend. I think it was from Nick Mullins, the commentator, who said that perhaps in future Scottish men of the match or women of the match could be the Doddy Weir medal or something like that, yeah. which is a, would be a nice tribute. Great idea. So, very sad weekend for rugby with the passing of Doddy Weir, but and that that was our nice tribute to him there. So, rest in peace, Doddy. Aside from that, everyone, that has been the Ruck from the Times and the Sunday Times. Please follow, subscribe from wherever you get your podcasts. Um, we'll be back next week with a bit more Premiership action and then before we know it it'll be into European Cup although we can't really call it that anymore because the South Africans are joining so more of that to come on The Ruck this episode was edited and produced by Alfie Reynolds VoiceOver describes what's happening on your iPhone screen. VoiceOver on settings. So you can navigate it just by listening. Books, contacts, calendar, double tap to open. Breakfast with Anna from 10 to 11. And get on with your day. Accessibility. There's more to iPhone.